Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. All right, well, let's, let's uh, go ahead and get started. I'm going to read from Matthew 19 here. And um, there's a couple of a couple of important places in the scriptures that speak about creation, and there are certain things we can um, learn about creation, or at least there are um, ways in which the scriptures confirm the, the young earth argument. So this is, this is one of them from uh, Matthew 19, uh, where there is the, uh, the, the controversy with the Pharisees over uh, divorce, and Christ grounds the, uh, the, the biblical ethic of when it's right to divorce in the creation account. And there's one statement, as we'll see, that is uh, important for us to understand the uh, young earth versus old earth positions. And as we'll see, it, it, it very much appears that Jesus is uh, confirming the young earth view. So from uh, Matthew 19, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for uh, the testimony of Scripture to the doctrine of creation. We do pray that you would, uh, Lord, that you would help us to, to stand firmly on your word in the midst of all challenges that come to us. Lord, we, we think of, of this particular challenge, which was begun uh, a couple hundred years ago. We do pray that uh, you would give the church to the grace to stand firmly against uh, this challenge and then also the, the ones that, that are um, more unique to our, our current situation. Uh, but Lord, in any case, we do pray that you would, that you would always help your church not to compromise, not to, not to uh, be syncretistic in its thinking, but to stand firmly on, this, on the scriptures. Uh, for we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so really quickly, just explaining here from Matthew 19, my point, um, I, I remember trying to do this in a sermon, and it was a little bit difficult uh, to explain this point, and so maybe in the teaching setting it'll be a little easier. So the point that I was making with regard to this being a young earth text is that Jesus says in verse 4, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? So the point is, is, when were Adam and Eve made? The answer is at the beginning, at the beginning. Now, in, the, in Genesis 1, which is where Jesus is quoting from, man and woman are made at the end of the creation account, day six. There's only one more day afterwards. It's a day of rest. So everything else has been created. Now, if you have any old earth view, the problem is, is if you were to then like graph, you know, if you had like a timeline and you were to put, you know, beginning on one side and end on the other, every old earth view would actually have man and woman being created at the very, very end of time. 
Um, there would be basically billions of years before them, only thousands of years after them. So I think you know most. Uh, my understanding of uh, the uh, kind of geological record and the you know the the, the time scales that the evolutionists want to say is they they want to say that man basically came into existence like 200,000 years ago or so. So if you were to then you know again on the on your timeline, you think there's 200,000 years on one end, and then there's you know like four or five billion on the other. Um, so if that's the case, then it is not true that God made them at the beginning. It would actually be the case that God made them at the very end. Uh, the only view actually that would be able to make sense of this would be the Young Earth view, which says that there are only five days on the, uh, that happened before Adam and Eve were created. And then there are you know, about 6,000 years afterwards. That would be in the beginning. There's, there's five days, um, you know, five days from like the very, very beginning is the creation of man. And then there is you know, 6,000 years on the other side. So um, yeah, if I had uh, visual aids, we'd, we'd be able to, to graph the timeline. Hopefully, hopefully the timelines are clear. Any, any questions on that, that point I'm trying to make? If it's difficult to visualize the timeline, I can try to say it another way. Does that make sense? If you were to, does it make sense what I'm saying? If you were to plot on a timeline, all, all order, old Earth views versus all young Earth views, the young Earth position would yield Adam and Eve being made at the beginning every old earth view would be at the very end, basically like on the line, beginning versus end. Does that, does that make sense? That point? Okay, makes sense. Okay, very good. Well, uh, so that's, um, that's just a little bit of an introduction there. Um, so today what I'd like to do is we'll start with, uh, I'll, I'll start by taking any questions from last week, and then my goal for today will be to go over uh, basically just an overview of each of the old earth positions, at least the main ones. Like I said, they, they, they're sort of coming up all the time. Uh, the reason for this is because none of them are convincing. Uh, and so then people, you know, realize like, oh, well, this doesn't really work. And so then there's new ideas that come and that sort of thing. Um, but are there any questions from last week? Yes, Karen. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's another text that's a, yeah important for the for the whole discussion, and that's in the context of keeping the Sabbath. So the idea being, you know, when we think of the six days of the week and then resting on the seventh, that's a pattern of creation. So the pattern is significantly disrupted if then the days of creation are different than the than the days of uh, that are found in the. In our normal week, so uh, that's uh, and we'll we'll get into that. But yeah, you're right. So I, so I think very basically, and I, this is something I will we'll go over. Um, and and I, l let me just see if there's any questions about last week. This is a little bit of a new question. I'm I'm planning on going here. So if, um, if there's any questions from last week, I'll take those first. Okay. So um, what? Why old Earth views? Like why have they come? Basically, the answer is old Earth views have come because of the scientific assertion, the assertion from scientists that the, that the Earth is old. And basically that's the idea, is like it's, it's irrefutable scientific evidence is the way it's pitched, um, which is why when we think about young Earth creationism, we do need to explain our position from the scriptures and just stand on it. But we do also need um, to, to prove that the science is not right. Um, and the reason we have to do that is be, logically is because uh, we believe that special and natural revelation uh, cannot 
be contrary to one another. So God's revealed himself in the Bible. He's revealed himself in nature. Those two things agree. So when, so science, so the scientists, the secular scientists are saying, uh, well, the creation element of this or the natural realm, yeah, they wouldn't like the word creation, um, that that is, is teaching irrefutably this old earth. And so if we were to say, we, what we don't want to say is, well, the Bible teaches otherwise, even if the, the earth appears to be old, it's okay, um, because then we have a mismatch in, in Revelation. So it is necessary for us to address the, uh, the scientific arguments. Um, but with regard to, uh, just circling back around, why old earth positions? Like what, and you know, what are people trying to do? It's, it really is just trying to harmonize um, the scientific assertion versus uh, the, the, the testimony of, of scripture. So that you have on the one hand, the Bible appears to be saying the earth is young, but we had this big problem, which is that you know, in the eyes of uh, many Christians, there's just no way to get around the geological timescale. And uh, therefore, you know, we have to have some way to put the two together. Um, so you, you really only have two options. You can either say, well, the geological timescale is wrong, or you can try to fit them together. And so all old earth views are attempt to fit them together. The young earth view is to say it's the geological timescale is wrong. Um, the fact that this is the case, this is something that a lot of times old earth um, creationists will not want to admit. But the fact that this is that this there's no other explanation except that this is a an accommodation to um, the scientific consensus, so to speak, the secular scientific consensus. It's not a consensus in the sense of, uh, you know, there's a lot of great young earth scientists out there. They just, uh, you know, they're just uh, tossed aside and not listened to. Um, but, but the fact that this is the case, the, 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 uh, the reason why it, this is, um, we know that all old earth views are merely an attempt to harmonize, is, is due to the fact that there was no old earth position prior to the scientists telling us the earth had to be old. It did not exist in the history of the church. So we have um, about 1,700 years of history of historical interpretation of Genesis 1 and 2. Nobody ever interpreted the earth to be old. Um, then, the, then, you know, scientists come. You have, um, you know, the uh, uh, uniformitarian, uh, uniformitarianism uh, is asserted with regard to geology. And then you have Darwinism asserted with regard to the origin of species. So then um, you have evolution. And uh, those two things together were taken to be, you know, again, irrefutable evidence by some that uh, the earth has to be old. And then there were many in the church that were tempted to say, well, that's true. And we can make the Bible fit into it. And every old earth view is basically the fruit of that endeavor. Um, so any, any questions on that? Yes. You keep on saying the old, uh, I mean, the old world and the young. Old Earth, yeah. The older world and the young. Yeah. And we are asserting the young world. Right? Yeah, so, so basically the idea is, um, yeah, young Earth position. So there's some, there's, in terms of like how young we're saying the Earth is, there's some difference of opinion. So like if, if you think there are no gaps in any of the genealogies, not in any of the genealogies, but in any of the genealogies in Basically, Genesis 5 and 11, those are the two genealogies that are important for establishing the age of the earth. If there are no gaps in those genealogies, then we can, we can calculate the age of the earth to be about 6,000 years. 
Yeah, about 6,000 years. So the Earth is only 6,000 years old. Um, some people say, well, there may have been gaps, and then they'll increase the age to like maybe maximum like 10,000. Uh, but you're still talking about, you know, I mean, that, that's a variation really in the same, of the same view. So the idea is that, you know, between six and 10,000 years, I, I take a 6,000-year-old Earth. I don't, I recognize there are gaps in many genealogies in the Bible. They're, they're not intended to, to show forth every generation every time. Like the example would be like David's line in Ruth, in Ruth 4, is obviously not intended to give you every single ancestor of David. Uh, I don't think that that's what's happening in Genesis 5 and 11. I think there are good exegetical reasons for that. Either way, though, you know, we're not really very different from, I'm not very different from anyone who would say the earth is 10,000 years old. So the old earth views are trying to read Genesis 1 in such a way that Genesis 1 is not taking six days, but rather it's taking something like, you know, four or five billion years old or however long it is. I think it's a... Does anyone know what the, what the current estimate is for how old the Earth is? Or, uh, sorry, this is be the universe. So how, I, think, I think they say the, the Earth is 5 billion. So I think the universe is uh, something like that. Yeah, I think it's actually uh, significantly more. So, so an old Earth is, so, so basically the idea is in Genesis 1, we can read it in such a way that we can come to the conclusion that this is talking about billions of years, not six days. The historical events that are uh, given, revealed in the Old Testament, uh -huh. just like, for example, the Babylonian activity, the Assyrian activity, we yeah. have dates over there. Yeah. So where do they base those dates? We have 722, 536, yeah. something right. like that. So if we were to look at the dates there, the Old Testament would be only uh, a I mean, how to call that, a range of 2,000 years, right? Yeah, so basically, yeah, it's sort of a different issue. There are people who will, you know, actually, there's really no one, even, even unbelievers, they don't dispute the dates of the uh, Babylonian captivity and the Assyrian captivity. They will dispute when the books are written that refer to those events. But th those books, th those, those events are very well established historically. They, they, there's really like, I think I think like the 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 um, kind of range of error on those dates is like one year. So some people say 721, some people say 587 rather than 586, you know. But um, those are very well are very very well established. And basically, there's just like a lot of with regard to calculating those dates. There's a, there's a lot of events in the ancient Near East that we just know exactly. There are certain pegs like um, things like um, actually one of the ways is um, solar eclipses. Uh, are often recorded in testimony in other cultures, and we can calculate like to the exact day when those happened. And so, um, and then there are, are uh, we have many cultures at that point that are intermingling. So then we can cross-reference records from different uh, um, from different cultures. So those dates are well established. We can go back further and say even um, you know Solomon's reign um, and the building of the temple. Solomon's reign starting at 970. Is a, is a pretty hard date. Um, I, I think there, at this point, there would be some that would question it. But, um, you know, they, it's, uh, I, I think that's pretty well set in stone as well. Um, him starting to build the temple in 966 is pretty fast, pretty hard. Then you have a statement in 1 Kings saying that uh, 480 years after the Exodus, Solomon began to build the temple. So you can go back, 1446 then is the Exodus. So then uh, we have statements saying that the Hebrew people were going to be in Egypt for 400 years. 
So then you go, you can subtract 400 from. You're adding the numbers. You're subtracting in the sense that, yeah, it's going back. It's like a more negative number. Yeah, so anyway, either way. Yeah, you, the number is going up in terms of the, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that could be confusing, huh? But you know, if, you, if you have a negative number and you subtract, it's the, the, yeah, the number is going to look like it's going up. All that to say is then you can get into the 19th century BC, and then you know the ages of the patriarchs. So then you can, you can backtrack there. You know when they were born. Then you have the the, the, uh, the uh, genealogies in Genesis 11 that gets you back to Noah. Then you have from Genesis 5 gets you back to Adam. And therefore, then you just add five days before, you know, for before Adam. So that's how we can know the dates. Um, so when, when we're talking about old earth, we're actually not talking about any other issue except how much time is in Genesis 1 and 2. So it's not really a question. They're not trying to like squeeze thousands of years into the Babylonian captivity. They're trying to squeeze billions of years into, in six days, God made the heavens and the earth. So that's, that's really the only issue we're talking about. There, there are a lot of other important historical issues, but um, it's not relevant to the, when we talk about old earth, that's really the only thing we're talking about is one, Genesis 1 and 2. Question. Yep. <coughs> how, how do you explain dinosaurs? Yeah, that's a great question. I plan to devote at least one lesson to this. Let me, I will go ahead and, let me go ahead and just give a sneak peek because uh, I do want to get to the various old earth views. So my goal is to establish the exegesis and the theology behind the young earth view first and then go into some of the scientific evidences. But basically, um, the, the position of many, I would say probably most young earth scientists would be, I think probably everyone um, as far as I know, would be that when we look at the geological record, it's not laid down over millions of years. It's laid down immediately by one event. So this would be the, this would be the difference between geological uniformitarianism versus geological catastrophism. So the idea is like when you look at geological uh, features in the world, are we going to try to explain them on the basis of small changes over time or one big event that basically like affected things more drastically. And so catastrophism says that, you know, basically like erosion is not sufficient to explain valleys. Um, that's, that's not what's happening. It's more like earthquakes. Um, that's, that's the idea. Um, so um, with regard to that, then when we look at the geological timescale, we're not actually looking back millions of years. We're looking at basically um, a flood, which would be Noah's flood, that is laid down layers very quickly. That's the reason why the layers are so straight, by the way. Like the idea of, you know, like if, if there was, if, if, if every one of those layers were exposed to, the, to the, the elements, they would not be perfectly level. I mean, it just, there's no way. It's over millions and millions of years that every single layer is like, you know, like that. It's not going to, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. However, like if there are different weights of sediment that are being laid down quickly in a flood, they actually are going to be like that. They're going to settle and then they're going to harden quickly. Um, so the idea then is that most of the fossils that we see in the ground were, were created by Noah's flood, which would include the dinosaur fossils. So most of them would have died in the flood, at least, at least most of the fossils that we have. So there are other ways, like even, even the secular scientists admit, the way you make a fossil is you, is you bury it quickly in water. So um, you know, they, they will actually posit, like in like Mongolia, where they you know, find some dinosaur bones, they'll still posit like, well, there was this weird flood you know, this weird storm that happens like once every few hundred years and it's like there was this valley and, you know, it covered the dinosaurs quickly. So the idea then is, is that you, with, with regard to fossils, you always need a water, quick burial, um, to basically just like cement the creature 
uh, while it's alive in, you know, in, the, in the ground. And so there could have been other events besides the flood that could have produced fossils, but the main one that we have, the one that's covered the whole world, is obviously going to be the source of most of our fossils. So then with regard to dinosaurs then, there would, there's, uh, there would be, uh, they, most of them died in the flood. However, Noah would have brought two of every kind of dinosaur into the ark. They would have then lived. And, uh, I th and this would be what, um, what every culture attests to in terms of dragons. So a dragon is a dinosaur, is, is the idea. So the, so the question historically is why is it that every single culture separated by time and space, every single one without exception, had no contact with each other, have stories of the exact same mythological creatures? And they look an awful lot like dinosaurs. The answer is because they were, that's what they were. And so basically a dinosaur would have gone extinct like any other creature. We have biology textbooks from the 16th century that assert that, that, that uh, dragons are real. Just a regular textbook. Um, and that uh, they're very rare. At that point they would have been extremely rare. Um, but but um, biology textbooks that just assert that they're, you know, that, that, they're, that they exist. So um, we have, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because this is more than a sneak peek at this point. So that, anyway, that's the, that's the small answer. There's uh, more that we will say when we get to that. Like I said, I, I plan on devoting a large amount of time to that, to that question, but, but that's the idea. Um, uh, last thing I'll say is I think the Leviathan and the Behemoth and Job are all, also dinosaurs, so um, that would be a biblical testimony as well. Let's get, let, let me get in, jump into the old earth views. So let's go first with um, the... Uh, the first one chronologically that comes up is the gap theory. I don't know of anyone that holds the gap theory. I doubt, I basically doubt that anyone holds it at this, at this point. But, um, and this is just, you know, example, like the older theories are generally discarded. The newer theories are held onto now. So, um, but the gap theory being an old theory, it's uh, basically, basically, uh, you know, it's not believed anymore. There people have poked too many holes in it. Uh, but basically, the gap theory, well, well let me just ask you the question. Does anyone know what the gap theory is? Gap theory. All right. So we will, um, if you go to Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and without void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So in the gap theory, there is this, this idea that there are, Two creation accounts actually listed in Genesis 1, being described in Genesis 1. And the first one is given in the first verse. So God creates the heavens and the earth. Then there was something that happens that makes it so the earth is formless and void. And the idea is that that thing took billions of years. So there is, so between the like empty space between the end of verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2, there's billions of years there. And then God repicks up creation, uh, and then creates in, in six days, and then uh, and then we, we go on our way. So, a um, few things to say about this. One, it's a lot of that's a lot of time to fit into um, into just the space there. Um, you'd you'd be the, the assertion would imply that you know, well over ninety nine point nine 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 percent of history. Uh, described in the Bible occurs in the empty space between Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. Um, so that, that just, there's, there's no reason to understand 
the Bible as saying that. There's no indication anywhere else in Scripture. As we said, it, it would contradict what Jesus is saying about God making them in the beginning. Um, it would be, really would be him making them in the end. Um, so that's a problem. The other big problem is, is it actually is the worst attempt at harmonizing the old earth uh, scientific assertion with the Bible. And the reason is because, you know, the, 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 um, the evolutionists are not saying that there was, like, that all life was created just a few thousand years ago. They're saying it was millions and billions of years ago. So this is a big problem. Like, the, you know, the, the gap theory is still saying that Adam and Eve, mankind, is only 6,000 years old, that the sun is only 6,000 years old. Um, so it, it, it really is exegetically arbitrary to just say we, we, we're asserting that there's billions of years in between Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. And then it also, um, it also is not going to be, it, like if you were to hold the gap theory, no one would say, well, well now, look, you've, you've perfectly harmonized what we're saying about evolution with the Bible or with the age of the earth or anything. Like they would say, well, you know, you're still missing basically all of it. Um, so that's, that's the problem. So it doesn't, it's, it's an arbitrary uh, exegesis and it, um, and it really is a, the, the only old earth assertion, like scientific assertion that they're truly harmonizing is the age. Um, this is the way that we can say the universe really is this old. Um, but no other detail of what the secular scientists are saying is even, it's not even really attempted to, to harmonize it. Uh, so that's, that's the problem with that. Any, any questions on the gap theory? Yes? The reason they said that there are two creations is because of uh, verse 2, the earth was without form. Yeah. So prior to the uh, six-day creation, there was already this earth, right? Right. Without form. So the pattern of creation, the six-day creation, does that, uh, will that only mean the ordering of uh, the creation? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good, yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, that's, that, yes, that's right. So the, uh, that's right in some regards. So there's, um, with regard to, this does get to our exegesis of Genesis 1-1, and the question is whether or not Genesis 1-1 is the first act of creation or a summary of the creation account. And I think it's better, uh, I preached a sermon on this, so you can go back and listen to it, I'm not going to go over all, all the arguments, but, the, but it's better to understand Genesis 1-1 as, un, as being understood as the first event. So God, Genesis 1-1 is not a summary statement, it's the creation of the earth that is then form, without form and void in verse 2. And so Genesis 1-1 is the, is the account of the ex nihilo creation. And then you're right that the, the, the six days afterwards are God's ordering supernaturally the, the kind of the material that he made in Genesis 1.1. And there could have been some things that were brought out ex nihilo uh, in the days, or it could be that God used the matter he already created in the, like the very, very beginning. Um, but... Um, but anyway, that's, that's, that's I think, the, the way to, to view it. So um, this is something that we see as a, this will be important when we look at the framework hypothesis. This is an, an, an error I believe that they make, is um, the way that uh, the first three passages in Genesis are constructed is there is a statement of um, some kind of problem that needs to be addressed. And then the account is the, the fixing of the problem. And of course, like God could have just created instantaneously everything exactly the way he wanted it. And so the reason he, if he didn't do that, then what that means is, is that he creates ex nihilo. There's a lot of things we can learn about God from that. 
And then the way in which he orders things throughout all the days actually reveal to us things about God. So there's a theology with, that we're taught with regard to why there are these divisions uh, as, they, as they come. Um, yeah, that, that'll, we'll have, have opportunity to comment to that more later as well. But that's, that's the idea um, with regard to the uh, creation account. Um, okay, so that's the, any other questions on the gap theory? Okay, so the second one is probably one you're more familiar with, day-age theory. Remember the day-age theory? Yes, Yom is, yep. Yeah. We have different interpretations of the word day. Right, yeah. right. Be a literal 24-hour day, yeah. thousands of years. That's right. So like a, a really um, significant verse in the mind of those who hold to the day age theory would be uh, the statements in uh, Psalm 90, quoted also in Second Peter 3. The, the day of the Lord is like a thousand years. To, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So the idea is that there's, there's some kind of um, stretching that you can have with regard to a day, especially when we're talking about God. Um, so the idea here is that a day could mean a long period of time. It can mean like an age. And so then you've got these six ages, basically, over which God creates. Now, even here, so, so one, one advantage I'll say about the, about the day-age theory over other old earth views is that the day-age theory at least preserves the ordering of events. Um, so it preserves the ordering of events of Genesis 1. We'll, so we'll see a lot of old earth views do not do that. Um, the problem is, is, that, is that if you preserve the ordering of events in Genesis 1, you are no longer harmonizing with the scientific assertions. It's not just the age, it's also the order. So for instance, like in the... Uh, in the sort of uh, cosmic evolution view of the of the of the creation of the or the origin, I should say, of the universe, um, the the sun is what comes first, and then the 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 earth comes afterwards. And the earth is you know, and even you know, people say like you know, like people are just stardust sort of thing. Like every everything kind of comes from these like big balls of energy, because uh, you you have to have the energy basically to produce other things is the idea, and so the you know all of the. Um, all the stars come first, and then the Earth. But in Genesis 1, the order is reversed. So the Earth comes first, and that's because uh, God has made the Earth the, if it's not the center of the universe, it's the theological center. It's the most important place in the entire universe. Everything in that sense like revolves around the Earth, if, if not literally um, in terms of importance. Uh, the, the sun was made for the sake of the Earth. And uh, the Earth was made for the sake of those who would inhabit it and the height of that being man. So, so uh, all these things are then revolving around the creation of man. They, they gain their importance. So the earth is important because that's where man's going to be inhabit, inhabited. The sun's important because it gives light on the earth. That's what, that's what uh, day four is all about. So the sun gives light on the earth for, for the sake of those on the earth being able to understand when to worship God and to have fellowship with him. That would be the, that would be the, 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 main, the main purposes that are given. So... Um, so then, uh, so with regard to the day-age theory then, you are not, it preserves the ordering in Genesis 1. However, because it does that, it's then a poor, um, it's a poor uh, harmony. It's a poor harmonization with the, uh, with actually the assertions of, of science. Um, it also runs into the theological problem, which we'll see over and over again with regard to old earth views, that now we've got death before the fall. And that also death becomes the means that God uses to do his work of creation. Um, so that, that's a, 
that becomes troubling. And the reason why you have to go this way with regard to the day-age view is because you are accepting the geological time scale of the uniformitarians. And once you do that, then you've got fossils in the ground that by your own admission have to be millions of years old. Um, and yet on the same geological time scale, man's not made till the end. Even with the age theory, man's not made till the sixth age. So there's been lots of things dying before that. Um, and um, even, even man will be dying. Uh, all older views also struggle to maintain a historical atom. That's always going to be a, a problem as well. There has to be special, like special acts of creation that create these things. But then once you do that, then you're, you're, you're no longer harmonizing with um, the scientific data, so to speak, the, the uniformitarian assertions. Um, so that's the, that's the day-age theory in terms of it's what it is. It's really its failure to harmonize. And this is what we'll see over and over again. There's, there's just no way to harmonize these views with the, with the Bible. Failure to harmonize and then also theological implications. So let's look at some of the exegetical reasons why we do not uh, hold to it. So if we, if we would to, were to concede that day can mean more than a single day, which is like, I, you know, I, I guess it's kind of true. It's, it's really not, um, like a lot of times, like, you know, there's, there, there are statements in the Bible, like uh, the Hebrew Bible, like in the days of this person, and that means like the time period. But even there, it's like very obvious from the context. One days is plural, um, you know, like even, even we in, in English would understand that obviously means like the time period when this person was, was around. Um, sometimes like you can get like in the day of this and it means just when. That's a, that's a common Hebrew idiom. Um, however, all would admit that, you know, well over 95% of all usages of, of the word day, well over that would just basically mean day. So that would be the way that we would assume that it's going to be read unless there's some other contextual feature that tells us it shouldn't be read that way. However, we don't just have like the lack of contextual features whereby we, would, we should assume that it means just normal day. We also have many contextual features that teach us that it must be a normal day. And so those would be things like, if you read in uh, the, uh, the first day, so verses five to uh, three to five. Uh, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So even here, day is now being defined as a period of light followed by a period of darkness. So like if you were to ask like, okay, what in the text of Genesis 1 is teaching us what a day is? There are actually like day is defined in the text as being a normal day. Then we have further, so the evening and the morning were the first day. Now the first day, the ordering of the days is now defined as including a morning and an evening. So like if you have here morning and evening, Moses has just said, you know, a day is a period of light followed by a period of darkness. Then you have evening and morning. Now you got the first day. You know, it's, it's just all those things are pointing to it being just a normal day. We uh, have further in day four, so again, if you were to, again, the question is, okay, I have no idea what the word day means in Genesis 1. Is there any place in Genesis 1 where Moses tells me what he means by it? That's the question. So then in, in day four, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. So, the, so he's going to put lights and it's going to divide day and night. So it would be, you know, if, 
what's a morning and an evening? It's going to be related to this day and night that's, that's in the text. Um, let, them be, let them be for signs and seasons and for days and for years. Uh, let, the, let them be for uh, lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. So there again, um, there are places in Genesis 1 where Moses is explaining what he means by day. And it includes, like here, uh, you know, a day is when the sun's up, and then a night is when the sun's not up. So then, so again, contextually, then there's a lot of there's a lot of evidence that is leading us to say that Moses is intending to teach that six days means six ordinary days. The sun goes up, the sun goes down. Before the sun's created, you know, this is a question that's often asked. Before the sun's created, there's a period of light, there's a period of darkness, and uh, and that's you know, and that's it. Yeah. Because of you know God creating light, separating the light from the dark. Yeah. And then I always thought that you know is is verse four just further defining that first day in terms of saying you know I'm going to have a light to govern the day and a yeah. Light. I mean I, I feel as though he already created the sun on the first day, that's where the light comes from. Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, but then on the fourth day he includes the stars and the moon. And I feel like that's maybe just further defining like the only real difference between verse the first day and the fourth day is the, the stars and the moon the lesser light yeah let me let, let me uh, let me address that so uh, so the text actually does say in verse in for day 4 that the that the sun is created as well so he makes the sun the sun is made with the moon and the stars so uh, basically what you have in day 1 then is god creating light without a, a light source and so that's the creation of actual light and so um, there's a couple of reasons for this, I think, theologically. One, there has always been in the human heart a temptation to worship the sun. And um, God uh, shows that the great thing that causes people to want to worship the sun is actually not even dependent on the sun. So the light of the sun uh, actually predates the sun itself, which shows that the, the, the source of light is not actually the sun, but God. And, uh, and therefore, there's no reason to worship the sun. So I think, I think actually that's theologically what's happening. And then just in terms of, uh, one, I would just say, too, there's actually a lot of examples we have of light, there being light without the sun as a source. Like, obviously, like, we're in a room with, with lights that are, you know, it's electricity. Um, that's not actually light from the sun. But we also have um, examples with regard to statements of the new creation, that there is coming a day when there will be no need for any light because God will be the light. So the idea is that with regard to a light source bright enough to facilitate life, the thing that you need is God, not the sun. And Genesis 1 actually is making that very clear. And in the, and in the last day, that's how it's going to be. Um, now, with regard to this, this does lead to another question, which is, uh, so it looks like we're, we're probably not going to get into... We may be able to do analogical day because it's, it's very similar, but we're going to run out of time here. Um, so with regard to this, another question that could come up, maybe anticipating a question you may have, could be, well, if the sun is made on day four, then perhaps the first three days are not ordinary because there's no rising of the sun that defines those days. Is that right? So, so something else has to define morning and evening. Yeah. So... Right, so it's light and, light and darkness. So we know that there's light and darkness. So a morning is going to be when the light starts shining. 
and the evening is going to be when the light stops shining. But there's not going to be, for those first three days, there's no, there's no like ball in the sky that's, that's connected to those lights. And this is actually uh, another thing with regard to the theology of this is um, one of the things that God shows in Genesis 1 is that creation is very orderly. So there's the, the chaos is always related to decreation and judgment. And orderliness is always related to the establishment of creation. And um, so, so God's dividing, like that's being said over and over again, that's, that's, uh, that's significant in terms of it's teaching us something, um, something about God. So God's dividing the light from the darkness. The light itself is not dependent upon uh, the sun in, in, in that regard. Um, so with regard to the first three days being not ordinary, oh, sorry, and that, another point I was going to make is that the way that the, the days are structured as well, the way, the way that the first three days are all have a parallel day in the last three days. So days one and four are parallel. Many people have noticed that's the source of your questions here. But actually, days two and five are parallel, and three and six are parallel as well. And so the idea is, is that in days one through three, you have the creation of the, of the basically um, the, the habitable spheres of everything. And then the habitation happens in days four through six. And this basically answers the question that's the, the problem, again, that's introduced in verse two. So I remember the, the way that these accounts are structured is there's something that needs to be addressed. And then it's solved by God's action. And then it teaches us then, the, the purpose of doing that is to teach us the purpose of these acts of creation. So the earth is without form and void. The forming happens in the first three days. The voidness is fixed in days four through six. So light is formed, the earth is formed, the sea, you know, the heavens, it's all formed and then it's filled. So then you have light that's created it needs to be filled. It's filled with the sun is the idea. So like that now the sun's going to be the light bearer. And the same way, you know, that you have, this is the reason why birds and fish go together in day five is because the waters above are separated from the waters below. And so you have uh, waters and sky. And then you have in day five, the water animals and the sky animals. And then you have the, the, the producing of vegetation and land in day three. And that's to set up the habiting of the earth in day six. So there's, so all of that is part of what's happening with regard to the creation account. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going a little bit blank about, about uh, there's one other point I wanted to make about this. Uh, anyway, uh, while I'm thinking about that, any other questions with regard to day age, uh, day age theory? It was an important thing that I did not want to leave out, but it's gone. <laughs> So um, we'll uh, we'll keep. Does that answer the question? Uh, yeah. Oh, I remember coming back to the day th to the first three days. So there, are, I, I've heard this argued actually that um, days four through six. So I, this is a position that some people hold. Um, I've I've you know met a person that's held it, or at least watched him give a, an ordination exam in a reformed church. Uh, so someone said that it's sometimes held that you know. A, a sun-marked day obviously has to be days four through six. That's what's it's in the text. It doesn't have to be for days one through three. How do we know that the period of light and darkness is the same in days one through three as days four through six? And he said, he's basically, he, he was basically trying to say, you know, I'm not trying to say I'm old earth, but I just don't know. I don't know if days one through three are the same length as days four through six. I, I see that four, days four through six must be 
uh, 24 hour days. So I'll just ask, does anyone know the answer to what this would be? Why is that impossible? It's actually a science question. Because uh, he's relating all seven days as the same. Well, that would be an exegetical reason. Well, yeah? I'm thinking if the word Earth rotates, it could still turn to the sun, and, I mean, to the light, to the darkness, even before the sun is created. Right. The, so the point being, just to simplify and to show why it's actually not possible for the days to be different. The, the length of the day is determined by the rotation of the Earth, not the movement of the Sun. So, so if the Earth has already been created, the only way that days one through three could be of a different length is if the Earth started rotating at a different speed on day four. It actually doesn't matter where the light is. Even if you put the light in a different place, it's still going to be a 12-hour day. So there's, there's light somewhere that's shining on the Earth. The Earth is spinning. That's determining the length of the day. The length of the day is going to be 12 hours, and there's going to be 12 hours now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like speeding up. You know, it's like one of those like those cameras that. Uh, but 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 all that to say is, you can see like there's light. It doesn't matter where the light is. The Earth spinning determines the length of the day. So you know, there's nothing in the text that would indicate that like the Earth changed its speed of rotation on day four. Um, That's a different, yeah, that's a different issue. Um, yes, it's, it's, it's the fact that the Earth is tilted on, an, tilted on its axis. So, um, yeah, when, when I'm saying 12 hours, I'm meaning like, you know, like on the equator and like, you know, actually, you know, a lot of the, you know, uh, Bishop Usher, he's got a famous, uh, like, chronology of the Earth. And I've got a timeline up in my office that uh, follows his, uh, his, his calculations, but a lot of people, not just him, a lot of people thought that um, the Earth would have been created on, uh, that the first day of creation was actually um, March 21st or something like that, the vernal equinox. Because the idea being, look the, look, the light and the darkness is separated, so therefore the light and darkness, the first day has to be equal. And so you have either the vernal or the, or the autumnal e equinox. And then, uh, and then basically I think the thinking, uh, my understanding of the thinking would be that the vernal equinox is associated with life. Um, you know, things are moving towards life, whereas like the, in the ver in the in the autumnal equ equinox or the beginning, everything is moving towards towards winter. And so the idea being that uh, the anyway that that creation would have been on uh, what we now call uh, March 21st or 20th. I'm not willing to assert that, um, but but all that to say is when when we talk about 12 hours, yeah, with regard to like Alaska or Antarctica. It's just that the Earth is tilted on its axis. Um, so uh, anyway, we did not get to the analogical day. So we'll, we'll, we'll pick up uh, next time I teach. Again, I don't, I don't know if uh, Pastor Eric Sandretti will he'll be teaching. We'll pick up with the analogical day uh, next time. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do, we do thank you for your, your grace and kindness in revealing yourself to us. And uh, Lord, we do pray that you would help us to understand, uh, Lord, uh, what, is, what is said by, uh, by others with regard to um, the issue of creation. Help us to understand those things well that we might be more firmly grounded in the, in the truth. And Lord, we do pray that the glory of your actions in creation would be always uh, always understood, affirmed that you receive praise for them. And Lord, we especially pray now as we go into the worship of your name, 
that you'd help us to see the glory of these things, but even further, Lord, that you would help us see, to see the glory of the new creation begun in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see that the one who supernaturally created the world in the beginning is the one who has created all things new in Christ at the fullness of time, and that we participate even now in, in these glorious realities. Help us to see these things, to uh, rest in you as we contemplate them, and to worship you as is due your name. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. We cannot fit any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one, every Lord's Day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to, to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, there is a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place, uh, through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.